Turkey hunting is one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt when I'm hunting turkeys. It is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. If you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light. Go farther, stay longer. All right, everybody, joined today by... None other than the cat lady, Spencer Newhart. <laughs> and the other cat lady. <laughs> and the, his cat lady buddy, Seth. <laughs> Seth, the flip-flop flesher Morris. Got him. Oh, that's great. Oh, so Two great. cat ladies. <laughs> Bill the engineer, Corinne, and Brody's got no cat. Never will. <laughs> you don't even, yeah. I, no, these I guys always don't said look that like too. a cat lady, but you don't, especially don't, you don't even act like a cat lady. <laughs> no. Brody's eyes in a... Not cat snuggling mood. I used to scrape <laughs> barn cats off the highway now and then back when I was a kid. That's about as close. What'd you do with them? Toss them in the ditch. Oh, okay. Was that like a professional vocation? No, we just, we had, uh, we had <laughs> horses and there was a lot of barn, barn oh, cats. Oh, your there. own barn cats. Yeah. yeah I could yeah. tell you some cat stories that curl your hair, man. But I, I, I could too. Yeah, I wouldn't I'm want right to do with that. You. I won't, I'd wind up, I don't know, wouldn't be good. Um. Oh, first, I, uh, okay. We're going to plead to, there's a thing I got to plead because there's, there's a, I'm in a professional predicament. We have been talking since last December about, we were going to do a fine art coffee table book. It was a joke. It wasn't a fine art coffee table book. Effed up old deer stands. Okay. Fucked up old deer stands was the name of the book. It was going to be a fine art coffee table book for Meat Eater. And so we were going to go and get. Like our own camera guys, our own photographers had, we just encounter crazy tree stands. You know, kind of like rotten, dangerous, whatever, like crazy tree stands. So we started talking about how we're going to do this book. 
and we opened up a thing for submissions. And how many do we have so far? 1,300. 1,370. Holy shit. 1,370 people have sent in submissions. I have been getting a ton of pushback in snide commentary from the people that work at this company about this project. Really? Oh, big time. There is a... Name people names. are very, very, very incredulous. I'm going to cancel them. <laughs> about the this name, project. The no, name or the whole just project? just everything about it. Okay. Everything about it. How's it tied to what we're doing? We oh, boo. Listen, really? man. Telling you what, dude. When this thing, it's going to be a calendar. It's not going to be a 250-page book. It's going to be a calendar. It could be a 250-page book. Yeah. If your kids are, put your plug your kids' ears. It's called Fucked Up Old Deer Stands. We have some of the, we just got, we're in, it's in amazing day, what's out there. Oh, oh, we got a great wow. one recently of an ATM machine, <laughs> an ATM, I'm not kidding, an ATM cash machine on a stand, but like where you can sit in the ATM machine yeah, like and shoot off school. gun rests off amazing. like where you like the screen hole. Literally, the this, on, the, on the top of it, it says cash machine. <laughs> yeah, we're talking like original you know, era. You know those like plastic oh, so stackable chairs? Like yeah. if you're like in Mexico and you go to like a eat a taco, like this, the, the Coca Cola or whatever. Yep. One of those lashed up to a tree limb, way up in a tree, <laughs> with a plank that you like. Apparently, walk out the plank and then get in the plastic chair, lashed up in the tree. I hope he's uh, near Alan Lazara's <laughs> hospital, just to be safe. Yeah, if you backed up, there's a big trampoline underneath it. So, no, it's it's a great project. Wow. It's gonna be a calendar. There'll be a cover. I need people when it's time. I need you to be ready. To buy this thing so that I can be proven to be right. But then we're only going to use 12 out of, you well, know, he's so right, many. Could, there's Listen, plenty more to there's do. There's always, like, if if people can get my back on this and buy this calendar, whether yeah, they then, want it or not, then we'll get as a, then a Christmas we'll present, the then the yeah. book will come. But I need people to get on board with it's the greatest collection ever of fucked up old deer stands in existence. And then we'll do fucked up old duck hunting blinds after that. And boats. Yeah. Fubs. <laughs> so in production, like in production, there's a thing where like Meat Eater, the show, the TV show Meat Eater, if you look at all our stuff, it's always S-R-M-E. So it's like Steve Rinella Meat Eater. And if you're like packing a Pelican case full of cameras, you'd put like S-R-M-E blank number. And that's sort of our thing. This project is FUDS. F-O-U-D-S. So internally we call it FUDS. What I was laughing about is a FUD. Is a guy a fud? I always get accused of being a fud. A fud is an Elmer fud. Why him? I don't know. But a fud is if you, if your like relationship to firearms is around hunting weapons, and you sort of make the mistake of thinking that like the Second Amendment like is like meant to protect people with hunting guns or whatever. That's like your view on it. You become a fud, and that's a that's a per, that's a pejorative. You don't want to be a fud. But now, I'm not a FUD. You're taking it back. Well, no, I'm not a FUD because someone just sent me, I haven't picked it up yet, but now I have an AR. So now I'm just like a right-wing nut Oh, job. gotcha. <laughs> now, people call me a right-wing, I'll be, I'm no longer a FUD, now I'm a right-wing nut job. You can now call people FUDs. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to calling. See, Seth was already a right-wing nut job. Yep. He's had an AR the whole time I'd known him. Yep. 
So he now would be like, yeah, and Seth, he's always like, I don't want to hang out with Steve. He's a fud. <laughs> he's a fud. But now me and Seth aren't going to hang out with other people because yeah. they're fuds and we're right-wing nut jobs. <laughs> uh, Brody, lay out the Arizona trail cam band. This is, this is, uh, this is interesting. Yeah. First date to, uh, ban the use of trail cameras, trail cameras for the purpose of taking or aiding in the take of wildlife. Basically it's saying banned it year round. Yes. Like full on ban starting private and public. Yes. Yes. No, January 1st, 2022. That is like a way, way. I didn't know that till right now. That is a very extreme version of this. Yeah. Other states have banned drones and trail cameras at certain times of the year on public land and stuff like that but this is the full the full on no it's like you can't ever have them out even months before the season to what about look at movement what about for like surveillance like uh, personal security and stuff like i don't even know if they've like figured that part of it out like you know but they're saying year round because states do public land up until the season starts Or they do, you can have the kind that you have to pull a card, but you can't leave the kind out that transmits a message. Yep. Right? Or private land only, but that is really... Because that's like the most trail cam in state in the union, man. Right. I mean, they're following those big kaibab bucks around all year long. And Yeah, I got friends that talk about that they're they're sitting there hunting one time in in Arizona, and they watched a mule deer come into a watering hole at dusk, and they said it must have been 20 uh, cameras went off. At a water hole. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like you come in and like people, you just all, everybody's got, everybody keeps their cameras around the watering holes. In in addition to the unfair advantage there, they did mention that these things have caused some like conflict between people because everyone's trying to get a picture of the same buck. Right. You know, if, if, if someone knows about it or what, you know, a big bull, whatever. Um, but the public, Public uh, comments, but the public opposed the ban by roughly a two to one margin. But the five person uh, commission, five to nothing, really? voted against. Yeah, what the? I wonder what they're looking at that made them so sure. Says trail cameras violate fair chase, which, you know, there's an argument to be made there. I, like I, I can see the argument. Yeah, you do. And and I know from talking to, you know, and well, I'll tell you right now, I have sitting on the desk in my garage, ready to go, which I'm going to place this weekend, a trail camera. Yeah. Which I'm fixing to put out in the woods. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it before. You're sitting at home, you get a little notification on your phone. Big Larry just walked by your stand. (laughs) You drive out there and jump in the stand, you know. Or, or just, just knowing what's going on when you're not there. There's there's an argument to be made that I, I use that, mine for just general animal looking though. Yeah, yeah. Like I I saw something on it's probably Instagram or something the other day where a guy left a trail camera out in the mountains for an entire year and had like thirty thousand images that he was sifting through. And yeah, it'd just be cool to see what's walking around out there. I put one behind my fish shack one time, and like right behind it. There's a little game trail and there's always deer and bear on it. And uh, my buddy's wife went back there and peed and he pulled the card, never gave me the card back. <laughs> then uh, I got to have him just wipe that card and give it to me. Then uh, I left it there for a year. And it was cool because it'd be like bear, deer, bear, deer. But all, there's like this doe that was just there all the time. And you see uh, 
All of a sudden, she's got her fawn. It's yep. real little. You get multiple pictures of her every day. You know what's kind of sad, man? I can't remember what month it was, but later in the summer, just back to being by herself. Oh, something, got yeah, something bear or something got something her. Something happened to it. The, the, the thing that's cool, too, is um, like a lot of discoveries are made via these trail cameras by people who aren't necessarily trying to find a wolverine where a wolverine never was or you oh know, re, yeah re, there's a book i've plugged this book a couple of times it's called candid creatures or something like that and it's a book about how trail cams they, they call them camera like camera traps. biologists call them camera traps hunters yeah. call them trail cams the way that trail cams have rewritten a lot of our understanding of animal distribution yep there's an amazing picture in there and i think it maybe i think it was captured in arizona is the only known picture of a jaguar standing in the snow. That's awesome. And it came off a trail yeah. cam. But imagine if this happened in Wisconsin or Iowa. I think it would turn the whitetail hunting industry like upside down or something like that happened. Oh, if that spreads, it's going to cause a real reckoning. Uh, it, 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 like if that sentiment. But it, it's surprising that it came out of Arizona because I know that in the whitetail dominated states, it's so big. But um, I feel like, like trail cam, maybe... Trail cam use is like very prevalent and maybe it's because it's just gotten, you know, and, and the other thing about Arizona is like just it being dry. Is it Arizona or Colorado? It's Arizona. Arizona. Oh, I thought someone said Colorado. One thing that Arizona doesn't have is it doesn't have, um, like the enormous herds that you have in the North. It's just like, there's kind of like, you know, like you just look at the tag allocation process. There's like Arizona doesn't have a lot. There's not a lot of like over the counter, um, big game hunting opportunities. Like it's a pretty, there's a somewhat competitive atmosphere yeah, to, to getting permits. Yeah. There's for, a competitive atmosphere in these certain hunt units. Yeah, competitive atmosphere for outfitters to get the hunter that drew the tag, you know. Because they, they, they don't have like massive elk herds like you'd find in the north, you know, but they have massive elk mm-hmm. and they have some massive mule deer. Like something, you know, they got, just some giants, man. It's ma- you know, it's managed in that way. It's managed like pretty conservatively. But uh huh. I gotta think about that for a day or two to to, to draw to get an opinion about it. I assumed it meant that you had to pull it once hunting season started. Full on. Well, but couldn't you argue if it's out in June that you're not using it for the taking of game? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think they've sure you could be going putting it out to take pictures of birds, right? Hmm. I'll talk about that a little bit more. Going to be joined later by, uh, got two people coming on, Danny Bolton, who's a dude that we just filmed in Hawaii with. We, uh, if, again, referring to Instagram, I put some pictures on Instagram from uh, when Cal and I were out spearfishing and hunting in Hawaii. Uh, while I was out there, he had had this, he, he was sick while we were there Went through all the normal things like, oh, he must have COVID. No, it doesn't sound like COVID. Anyways, by the time we got home, back to back to uh, Montana here, he had found out that he had contracted a uh, uh, from from eating raw game meat. He had contracted uh, toxoplasmosis. Right? Is that the right word? Yeah. We're gonna talk to him. Then we're also gonna be joined by uh, by our resident doctor, Doctor Alan Lazar, who's gonna lay out uh, what up with toxoplasmosis. Recent episode called Hunting in Chains, we had on the author and professor Scott Giltner, who authored a book, uh, Hunting and Fishing in the New South. And in it, we were talking about, you know, talk a lot about slavery, the hunting practices of slaves. And I had pointed out in that conversation about how 
during the, at the time of the Lewis and Clark expedition, um, they had what, like a hundred, hundred people roughly. They had a slave with them named York, one slave that they brought along. One guy not on payroll. And uh, he had had like interesting experiences along the way, no doubt. And I was pointing out that afterward, Clark liberated him, emancipated him, gave him his, granted him his own freedom. One of our contributors, Ben Long, wrote into those uh, a bit more complicated than that. So Clark had received York as a present as a child. So like you might nowadays give your kid, I don't know, Fitbit. Back then you'd be like, here's a human being. He's yours to do with as you please. And he kept this human being um, as his, as his possession and eventually brought him with him, uh, brought York, his, his property on the expedition and had, upon returning from the West, had said to York that he was going to free him, give him his freedom. But he repeatedly reneged. York one time pressed him on the deal, being like, hey, remember how you were going to give me my freedom? And Clark punished him by separating him from his wife and threatening to, to literally sell him down the river to a hostile slaver in New Orleans. So when you hear the expression, he sold me down the river. Uh, what that means is, I, I, don't, I don't know how accurate it is, but when you hear that expression, um, what it means is that it would be that the further down the Mississippi you got, the further into the deep south you got, the more, the the, the um, treatment of slaves would worsen. So if you were like in Missouri, you know, I, I think Twain talks about this a fair bit. Like if you were in Missouri, um, to get sold down the river is you'd be sold to a new owner deeper into the south where it was worse. So it threatened to sell him down to a hostile slave in New Orleans. Clark beat York severely for being sullen and insolent in 1809. So five years after. I think Spencer was saying it was 10 years he got his freedom. 10 years later. Yep. Stephen Ambrose, who kind of wrote one of the, you know, I guess the modern day's definitive history of the Lewis and Clark expedition said, quote, much of the evil of slavery is encapsulated by this little story. This guy's talking. Spencer, tell people what your idea is. I would love for us to have a Lewis and Clark expert on the podcast, but Steve is has pushed back every time I bring it up. Mm-hmm. Why is that? A couple things. What I was saying earlier, I think it's like big government. <laughs> okay. You got little crews. Okay. John Coulter was with the Lewis and Clark expedition. Okay. As they're coming back down the river, they almost get to, they almost get to St. Louis. This harrowing years long trip. And everybody's like, Oh, I can't wait to get home. John Coulter runs into some trappers going back up the river and turns around, doesn't even go to St. Louis, turns around, goes back up the river. That's the kind of guy I'm interested in, Mm -hmm. but I'm interested in the little bands of mountain men in that era. But like the, 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 not to hack on government at all, but like a hundred guys edicts from the president. It's just, it's like it, to me, it's not the kind of uh swashbuckling rugged individual entrepreneurialism 
that inspires me. But those sorts of fellas that you like, you've covered dozens of times over by now and still haven't given even a, a 30 minute segment of a podcast, Lewis and Clark. Okay. They, uh, <laughs> Steve's going to sum it up right here. I'll yeah. tell you, let me tell you the interesting things about it. Okay. That on their to-do list was to see if there's woolly mammoths. I don't know. Did you know that's true? Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the only tribe they got into a shootout with was. Are you asking me? Yeah. Mm. Sue? No. They got into a shootout with the Blackfeet. Mm. They killed the Blackfeet. Warrior. Uh, they had an air rifle on that expedition. That's not interesting to me. <laughs> my kid, my 11-year-old is perk right up yeah. right now at the mention of air rifles. Um, yeah, they would get it out to impress people. Yeah. Yeah, because they had a repeating air rifle mm-hmm. with like a compressor. There's various parts about that are interesting. Have you been to Pompeii's Pillar? No. It's on my list, though. I've been Love there. To see it. You can see Clark's name carved into the rock. For the longest time, they said it was the only like physical evidence of the expedition. Yeah, and that's that's like another plus for doing a Lewis and Clark episode. Those guys touched like fifteen to twenty states, so there's like a lot of school children that have some connection to Lewis and Clark. My favorite part about the story is Clark's suicide, mm. which is only way later. Why is that your favorite part? Because you, just how crazy he went. Yeah. He was kind of a and wild that, And card. that night was a nut, it was a crazy night. Yeah. The night he killed himself. Yeah. You should save it for when we have the expert on the show. What if he doesn't know about that part? Oh, they will. You think so? Yeah. That's widely known? We can we can play a little good cop, bad cop when you have this expert on. And you can like uh, be like, ah, mountain men. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, but this thing. I'll and tell you another, inter- another part I like about Lewis and Clark Expedition is they found they were at a jump site. Like a buffalo jump site. Mm-hmm. And the wolves were so gorged on meat from under the jump site that one of those two, Lewis or Clark, uh, killed one with some kind of trekking pole, like Yanni. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you're talking yourself into it here. (laughs) Guy wrote in, uh, we were talking about finding morels by a dumpster, the dumpster patch. There was a guy saying he was living in his camper for a few months, and he was parked at his friend's large shop that had RV hookups and sewage and whatnot. It says one day he walked out to empty the black tank, and lo and behold, five morels grown in a cluster of deca- decaying leaves that had collected under the sewer line. Think about that. Would you eat those? No. No, morels are like ecosystem sponges. Okay. That's why, like, or like any mushroom in general. Like, there's there's a lot of good mushroom picking to be had in highway ditches, but those highway ditches are also sprayed with chemicals. So I wouldn't recommend that you like uh, take home a, a bag of shaggy mane mushrooms that you found at some intersection out in the country. Why? Because they probably got doused with some chemicals. That's not gonna be what kills you. Ah. Uh, I don't know. You're not going to find so many shaggy mane mushrooms mm-hmm. over the course of such a long period of time that you get enough toxins from herbicides to kill you. This is also kind of specific to shaggy manes because they grow in like disturbed areas, disturbed like, areas. like a soccer field. Or There's a images dog of park. them of shaggy manes pushing up through asphalt. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. Cru- like, manes. you know, where the asphalt kind of peters out and the yeah, says yeah. it's been a sloppy job pushing yep. up. That's a great mushroom. Way cool. Tastes like asparagus. I just probably wouldn't take one home from like a soccer field or a dog park. 
That's mm-hmm. all. Or a sewage line. Or or that. What do you have eaten? Uh, the morels found near the dumpster. Listen, the dumpster morels weren't like a. They they, they just happened to buy the dumpster. They were delicious. It wasn't like a leaky dumpster. Yeah, you don't think they were? They were like <laughs> yeah. you know like feeding off was, of whatever was, no. had like you know coincidental leaked into the ground. How many yards were there for that dumpster? Ten, twenty. It was as coincidental. Would you eat the sewage morels? Now that we've talked about it, yes. <laughs> well, are, are you honestly like a sewage morel? You like are you honestly? Is there shit like in those morels? Oh, I don't know. It'd be hard to hard to eat and not think about. Was there not poop in? Yeah, but I, like I don't I don't know I don't know how like are morels do they work like a plant? In other they, words, where they're sucking stuff up in? Like, are they using nutrients from the shit? Like. If you're spreading manure on a field, or are they actually like, well, there's going to be shit particles in it. No, morels, morels <laughs> like, like it does it uptake, shit. does it uptake, like the it way takes new, it would uptake a, a plant would uptake nutrients, right. yes, from the dookie, yes, not but a problem. It's not like, yeah, but it's like that's everything, it's uptaking yeah. nutrients yeah. from dead stuff. I know, yeah. but the way Spencer like made it sound, how they're like ecosystems, right. he's being sponges, squeamish. yeah, he's makes being it squeamish. sound like if I was yeah. to squeeze a morel out, it'd be like a bunch of shit. Spencer's confusing clams and morels. Yeah, uh, no. Morels also they like to uh they like to grow where they're stressed out at. So maybe there's something in that sewage line that really stressed them out that wouldn't oh, be. Oh, like for how us. they come up after a burn? Yeah. I never heard it described that way. That's interesting. Yeah. Huh. yeah like, like 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 a tree dying, right? Like the will trigger the, it. Yeah, because we'll it's trigger like, it to fruit. We better get out of here. Stump sprouts or so epicormics. May, maybe there was something in that uh sewage line that that stressed him out to get him to grow. Have you ever heard the word macro fructation? No, that's a that's a mushroom. It's like uh, I might be pronouncing it wrong, but like you know, the underground structure is the mycelium. Mm-hmm. Yep. When it throws a like its fruiting body, yep, I believe is a macro fructation. So it's like some fact check. It's like that. I'm about to die. I better reproduce. Better get out of here. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's that simple. Which I could see happening. Yeah. If someone told me you're going to die tomorrow. <laughs> you're going to go repopulate? You might, dude. I don't know. <laughs> I'd go walleye fishing. <laughs> <laughs> Macro what? What's with the word Kel- supposed with to With Kelsey, up? of course. Seth, so be like, I, I, I think I'm going I'm to uh, take off early from work today. Just got some terrible news. <laughs> I'm going to head up to the lake. He'd be like, by God, I am going to join that wall I turn. <laughs> are, you, are you finding my word, macro fructation? No. Dude. We'll just have to trust you. Macro. Fructation turns to frustration. Yeah, I'm getting micro fracture. No, oh, what is, why bones? You know, as I'm looking at it here, the word I'm saying, I don't even think is a word. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be wrong, man. If we can't find anything, we can't prove you wrong, so... How would I make up a word like that? You can't even get it to like, you can't get where someone like misspelled something online. Cow, man, I would not listen to me. Um, That's really embarrassing. Yeah, it does. It's like one of the few things you can type into your computer and get <laughs> zero hits. <laughs> You're not kidding. I got zero hits when I typed in. That's mushroom. a hard thing to do. Yeah. Man. I must be thinking of something different. I must be thinking of absolutely nothing. I feel like you could slam your fist down your keyboard and get results in Google <laughs> than whatever you just tried. You guys, if anyone out there is mind reading and knows Dude, what I'm telling you, if you means, got a name, please write in. Yeah, if you need to name a movie or a book and you don't want
want to have to do any legal. You don't want to do legal work into IP and you're not stealing anything. <laughs> Call it macro fructation. You will have you will dominate search. <laughs> Anyone that types that word in will find your book. And you can make it mean whatever you want. Yeah. It's like that is a great thing for a whole media enterprise. You could probably get macrofructation.com right now <laughs> for like nothing. No one's squatting on that. No one's squatting URL. on that URL. God, Why don't we slap that on a t-shirt and sell? <laughs> I think we, I, yeah, I learned about macro fructation from the Meat Eater podcast. Yeah, I think that we should start get a shirt that says macro fructation. <laughs> I'm gonna, man. I'm definitely gonna. <laughs> Uh, 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 and I like for, how when you were introducing that word, you're like, you ever heard of this? <laughs> I'm about to blow your mind. Get ready. <laughs> when you said no, I'm like, what an idiot. Does he know Calls about himself mac- a mushroom Does guy. he know about macro fructations? God, man, I must have been reading an old book. An old wrong book. Uh, a friend of ours and, uh, and a listener to the show, Josh Kuntz, wrote in something that uh, I guess... Interesting. So he used to work at a guest ranch in Montana, and he was the only hunter among the guest service staff folks. So uh, any questions that people had about hunting, it would always be directed to him. On one occasion, he meets a guy from Colorado, a guest from Colorado, who had just completed hunting guide school. And Josh says, this guy told him something he'll never forget. He said that in hunting guide school, there was a portion of the curriculum Designed to teach guides how to pack dead human bodies out of the woods. Apparently, this is Josh talking, there was such a high rate of heart attacks amongst out-of-shape guided elk hunters that the guide school developed protocols on how to get the bodies out of the woods most efficiently. The technique he described is brilliantly simple. I'm curious if any of you have heard of this or something similar. Okay, while the guy's fresh dead, So, I mean, you want to know, should I stop now? I think that my interest <laughs> no. meter is high. Please, what is my interest no, meter? Please continue. Because the, the level of detail here it's is key fascinating. key that you don't wait till rigor. Fresh dead. Don't wait. Fresh dead before rigor sets in. You drape the recently dead body over a large downed log so that the dead person's belly is on the log, leaving the legs and arms hanging down approximately the same distance on both sides of the log. Like picture you're watching a Western and a guy comes in to collect the bounty. How he's got him tied up there like that. You then wait till the body goes into rigor and you have a couple guys lift it up and set it on a horse saddle with the belly in the saddle. Then you tie the wrists of the ankles underneath the horse's belly. Makes for easy packing. He says, I, I suppose this could be considered a hot tip. <laughs> <laughs> That's like really like molding the body, you know. Yeah. Bro, did they train you up in that? I, I can't say that's anything I've ever heard of, but <laughs> again, like the level of detail is so weird. It, it almost has to be true, right? Like, but the concerning thing is how many bodies were they dealing with to like develop this like a curriculum. system? <laughs> Well, way back uh, in a long ago episode that we recorded in Arizona, um, it was either in Arizona or Sonora, I can't remember. Um, we had a guy that, uh, a mountain lion biologist, 
Well, there's houndsmen that were working with a mountain lion biologist. And someone got a negligent discharge, a negligent, uh, it's like I'm having a fudgesicle. <laughs> <laughs> they got a negligent, <laughs> Spencer, when I pause, you say neg, say it. Negligent. Discharge. Of a tranquilizer gun. <laughs> got shot by his own tranquilizer gun. Killed him or just knocked him out? He got up so oh, bad. He was in bad shape. Do you I think know the where, story went. Where he got shot? I'm trying to remember. The story went that he had, they, they tranked a lion. And he and they don't want, you don't want the lion to fall out of the tree and get hurt. And the lion fell asleep up in the tree. So he's going up to fetch it and, and lower it down. And all of a sudden he realizes that it's not tranked. So someone's going to send up a loaded tranquilizer gun on a rope. But the way they tied the thing or whatever, as soon as he put pressure on it, don't, the thing shot him. He gets down out of the tree and then he's just gone. Meanwhile, the mountain lion's up there just laughing his ass off. And they packed him out on a mule. They didn't know what to do. Well, that makes sense. I mean, I, it's not that the packing out thing doesn't make sense. It's just all the little steps that they develop to like get the body in a certain position and before rigor and but there, pack yeah, it up a certain way. And The other part about the story that could be is like, it might be that it's not like he's looking at the curriculum, okay? You know, it's like Tuesday, 8 a.m., breakfast, right? And then like at noon, you know, how to truss up a person. It might be like that, they're, whatever, they're sitting there having sandos, having lunch, and some guy's like, I'll tell you what, I had a guy die one time, and here's this what I did. Is, by God, that's the way to do by it. By golly, if, <laughs> if that ever happens to you. So it might be like that. Yeah. Not that, um, what's on the schedule today? Yeah. Chapter three. You know, Section four. So it could be that it was just conveyed like that. Corey Calkins, who works here at Meat Eater, he, he was a guide. Have we got how many former guides are around here? A lot. Many. Too many Minnesotans, too many former guides. A lot of guides. He was big game guide and fishing guide. He said, before I start, so this is Corey Calkins saying, before he worked for him, the outfit he guided for in the Bob Marshall Wilderness area, they had to pack out a guy who died of a heart attack in his sleep. They rolled him up like a banana in a mantee tarp and top packed him for 10 miles. Said they did not wait for rigor to set in. He said it was just like packing out a large wall tent or a 14-foot NRS raft. Talk about details. Yeah. My friend Ron um, got on his Marine radio, picked up a Mayday one time. Huh. Like an SOS. And went there in a commercial fishing vessel. Had sunk. Where at? At the mouth of uh, at the mouth of Sand Bay out in Clarence Strait in Alaska, went out there and found the body of the fisherman, and got him up on his landing craft and rolled him up in a tarp, and he had a guy with him that was very uneasy about didn't want to like was uneasy about being on the boat with that man. Later, Ron went and found that man's, uh, you know, went through the work of trying to find and contact that man's widow, and give back give her back some of this dude's possessions. Hmm. They rolled him up in the tarp, took him to town. Jeez. Corey said he also had another fellow die from dehydration. Oh. No, no, no. No. Almost. Almost. Lost another fellow from dehydration. Blacked out and fell off his horse. 
barely able to revive him because they didn't have much water on hand. We draped him over the lap of another mounted guide, and they quickly trotted a quarter mile to the nearest stream. He came to, and they called life flight to get his ass out of the wilderness. They kept the show rolling, and the guy was released from the hospital the next day. Yanni, someone asked Yanni the question. He says, never heard of it. The only heart attack we had, the guy survived, and we drove him out of the woods on an ATV. <laughs> Ta-da. <laughs> <laughs> that old guy would be like, no, 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 no. No. Wait till he dies. You're doing it all wrong. <laughs> and get a log. <laughs> Hot tip. All right, now back to uh, toxoplasmosis, the latest wild game-eating disease that can happen to you. And to cover off on toxoplasmosis, we're going to talk about trichinosis for a minute just because they sound very similar. And then we're going to talk to Danny Bolton, our survivor, a toxo survivor. And then we're going to get some analysis from our resident physician, Dr. Alan Lazara, who you'll remember from our um, podcast episode, Bleeding Out. And by our count so far, this is just people calling in to admit it. Uh, That episode saved four human lives. Yeah. Four people have said that they, after listening to that, were in a situation where they had to apply a tourniquet. And in the back of their head was like, that's right, that guy was just talking about that. And they did the tourniquet in the right place, right pressure, saved lives. So uh, he's a hero, an American hero, coming right up. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside. Planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing. Taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times. I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, We got serious about life insurance, and man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money. And provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. And I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Doug's, and I'm in the navel, and I hear, I'll like instinctively pull up bubbly doug's place on on x and i'll look at the topography and i'll be like oh that sucker must be over in that little opening over there waypoints also and the ability to share them okay 
comes in handy every spring. Whether that's revisiting old waypoints where I've been on birds before or sharing them to buddies to help put them on birds. This app will help you find more turkeys. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you, too. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco, and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states. Or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Hey, in a minute here, we're going to talk about the hottest new uh, disease to get, the hottest new um, wild game disease. All the cool kids got want to get toxoplasmosis. I don't know how, like, I went a million years without ever hearing of toxoplasm. It's like hip now. Toxoplasmosis. The tox? You got the tox? The tox. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> Mike Rule, like, someone in his family got tangled up with toxoplasmosis. I think it's just related to people um, eating more raw stuff all the time. Hmm. I don't know. That when or, I was a kid, no one got it. It's that or uh, like Spencer having a million cats. You get it from cats. Yeah, I would say it's less cool if you get it from like a litter box. Oh, is no it the long. same thing as cat scratch <laughs> fever? Isn't it? I think so. Dr. Lazara, is toxoplasmosis <laughs> the same thing as cat scratch fever? <laughs> it's not. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, you're going to embarrass me. I believe First it's pas- time pas- that I got Pastorella, it. I believe. Cat scratch is pastorella. I got to look that up, but not the same thing. Scratch Bebop. It's also a Nugent song, right? Oh, yeah. I'm singing it right now. Dude, that song is one of the greatest, man. Why haven't we used that on the podcast? I don't know. Yet? It's not. Nah, it's, really... no, it's no stranglehold. Hold but on. It's man. like the second best song. I got to get in here. Toxoplasmosis, according to the Mayo Clinic. Don't tell us about toxoplasmosis. We got a whole bunch of experts here. No, 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 yeah, no. let's talk <laughs> about it. It's like if I wanted you to talk about let's it. Let's talk about cat If I wanted you to talk fever. about it, they wouldn't be here. No, 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 here hold on. Listen up. <laughs> It's a Bartonella infection. Oh. Bordadella pertussis, that's whooping cough. Bartonella is cat scratch fever. It's a bacteria that uh, you get from having your skin scratch, or you can even be uh, exposed to their, um, their dander in some ways, too. So, but usually it's a scratch. You get it on your arm, you get lymph nodes up your arm, um, and you get like a cellulitis. Spencer's not. Spencer's shaking his head like he doesn't buy it. Okay, no, no, no. Steve, <laughs> Steve is the one that threw this whole thing off. I'm looking at the Mayo Clinic's website here. Why don't you just go to Nugent's website? Toxoplasmosis. <laughs> <laughs> bow, 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 That's bow, good. Bow, bow. 
Now listen up. Toxoplasmosis usually occurs by eating undercooked, contaminated meat, exposure from infected cat feces, or mother-to-child transmission during pregnancy. Hmm. So this is the cat litter disease. That's sure. why my buddy, that's why toxoplasmosis was such a big deal to my buddy, is because I think that his his wife mm-hmm. got it while pregnant. Yeah. yeah. They, and it they, caused a big scare. Yeah, they tell, that's really they tell bad, you yeah. no cats around pregnant women. Yeah. You guys didn't get that? The doctor didn't say, do you have a cat in the house? I can so it's not cat scratch fever. <laughs> <laughs> Stroke of my hand. Okay. Cat litter, cat litter fever. Yeah. That's what this one is. So it's not so cool anymore. You like those cats, don't you? Yeah, Spencer's definitely <laughs> going to get it at some point. Seth's yeah. got a cat, but he doesn't Seth like it. Seth is the cat guy. <laughs> Says he's a not clo- by choice. Says a closet cat. <laughs> not guy, by though. choice. Someone was asking once you have trichinosis, this is the old fashioned thing you get. Once you have trichinosis, can you now consume rare bear meat without side effects? They point out bears and lions do. Yeah. <laughs> to recap, um, uh, trichinosis is a, it's like a, it's why you, like, your, your grandma always was worried about cooking pork till what you know, well done. Nothing's born with trichinosis. Like trichinosis is passed from animal to animal by eating infected meat. And there's these little cysts in the meat. And when you eat the meat, your stomach acids dissolve that the shell of that cyst and it liberates this little larva that's living inside there. And then that larva Larv, you know, multiple larvae. How do you say that? Yes. Larvae. 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 They make love in your stomach and produce legions of themselves. And those bur- go like out of your digestive tract into your bloodstream, scoot through your bloodstream, and then, and then burrow through the vascular walls and get into your muscle tissue and then set a trap for the next thing that eats it. Uh, we had that one time. That's not a lot of fun. Uh, when I say we, like a handful of us, no one in this room though, right? No, no, I, no. I, yeah, I even had a shirt made trick paws. It said, <laughs> <laughs> but then someone pointed out that there's a venereal disease that people call trick too. So I never wore that shirt. <laughs> no, I noticed on Instagram you said you smoked your bear sausage to 150. Yeah, but doesn't the FDA like the FDA change 160? No, the FDA changed their own rules, and now mm. if you do sous vide, now it has to do with length of time. Okay, you can do 135 in a sous vide if you hold it for X number of hours. Mm. So I did, I did 150, but held it. My life's in your hands, Steve. I just ate like seven slices of yeah. your sausage. We're, yeah, it's uh, it, it's germane because we just we're eating black bear summer sausage. It turned out good though, didn't it? It's so good. delicious. Oh my god! Did thirty pounds so good. of it. Good smoke flavor. Did thirty pounds. Uh, did it in two batches, and one of the batches you you could have had a batch that went to one sixty because I got distracted on one of them and let it go to one sixty. But uh, yeah, that's all changed. Clay Newcomb would give you an earful about that. So we went to we had an epidemiologist on. Quite a long time ago. Do you remember the name of that episode, Corinne? Oh, I highly advise people to go oh, listen to it. God, let me let me. We covered the memory. Dickens out of um, foodborne pathogens. Oh. Covered the Dickens. Sicker than hell. 
yeah. episode 191. Sicker in Hell with episode. Tim Sly. Tim Sly. So can you get it again? He goes on to say some normal stuff that everybody knows. How now it's quite rare in commercially raised pork. Trichinosis, very rare in commercially raised pork in the U.S. The condition is still encountered in North America through other meats, especially game, potentially from imported pork. I remember reading that 90% of the trichinosis cases in this country are black bear. Hmm. When I was, uh, when I had it, I was registered with the CDC because it's a CDC reportable disease. So I had to have a CDC representative come to my house. I had, they took a little chunk of my bear meat, 1300 larva per gram or ounce or something like that. Jeez. Oh, yeah. They took it to a lab in Atlanta. Well, it was funny. I think I've told this, but I'm going to tell it again. My brother was getting married. And he and you know how you have the pre-dinner for the wedding party? Mm. We were doing an all-wild game. Like, what's that dinner called? Potluck. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. At a wedding when the wedding party comes for the dinner. Rehearsal, rehearsal dinner. Rehearsal, rehearsal potluck. No. <laughs> so I smoked one of this bear's hams for the rehearsal dinner. I smoked it plenty safe. And I told my brother, like, turns out the bear ham I made, that bear has 1,300 larva per gram. I remember realizing whatever it was, it had a half million per pound. Which you could assume most bears have, yeah. right? Well, in, I saw a thing one time in two counties in Montana where they were doing a study. 100% of the bears over six years of age carry trichnosis. He said, well, don't tell anybody that. And I said, well, I can't not tell him. And he said, then don't bring it. Because you can turn everybody off to the whole deal. <laughs> this was a potluck, it sounds like. It was a wild game dinner. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it goes on to say, reinfection challenges are probably not done anywhere. The rationale being that anyone making the mistake of becoming infected with trichinella parasites once would not be likely to make the same mistake a second time. So vaccination is being investigated as a means to acquire immunity. Yeah, you could go get vaccinated and just start eating rare bear meat. You know, it make it makes you think about your potential exposure watching all those uh what's that Instagram page you like? Nature's, Nature's metal. metal. When you see deer eating dead stuff, mm -hmm. oh. squirrels sure, eating dead rabbits, like your potential yeah. exposure yeah, is probably more than you think But it it's got to eat something that ate meat. Right. Yeah. Uh, they had a case in Alaska where guys got it from walrus, which I thought was strange. Yeah. But the best they can do with the vaccinations, it seems like, uh, it reduces the trichinella larval burden in muscle by about 35%. So, kind of like it doesn't even matter. 35% is better protection than nothing, but it still means that the individual who has been previously infected will probably still be vulnerable to whole body infection following a second exposure to raw or undercooked meat from bear, boar, rat, etc. Cook the meat, sausages, etc. to at least 160, but yeah, I talked that they, they, that's old news. They changed it. You ever notice now? Yeah, they just changed the rules. As for other animals, they too can't, they can't and do suffer from this type of parasite that needs only the single deterministic host each cycle. Even horses have been found to be a source of trichinella, having eaten dead rats minced up in their feed. Hmm. 
I my first job when I was thirteen was washing dishes at uh, kind of my first formal job, like my first forty hour week job was washing dishes at a summer camp called Camp Pendaluan, and we mixed the Kool Aid and garbage tubs, and we all that food had gone to big uh, garbage cans, leftovers, and a hog farmer would come every night and get it. And you used to be, there used to be commercial like slop restaurant slop would make its way into the commercial pork production cycle. And then all those rats and mice eating that slop outside of Camp Pendaluan would wind up getting fed to hogs. But now they have like this whole closed system is why they got it out of domestic pork. But a they, lot a lot of stuff, like he says here, a lot of stuff ends up in horse hay when it's getting bailed. Like gets killed while it's getting mowed, then gets wrapped up in a bale. We used to find all kinds of stuff. Snakes, mice, Yeah, we used rabbits. to wrap up black snakes yeah. a lot. We had a guy send in a picture that was a fawn wrapped up in a bale. Yeah, I've seen that before. Yeah. All right, Danny Bolton. We know Danny because we were just fil- we were filming in Hawaii. We hung out with Danny, uh, and he was telling us he was just still recovering from a harrowing encounter with toxoplasmosis. Yes, sir. Which he got off kind of off wild game. But first, Danny, tell everybody what you do for a living. This is the kind of job that makes that makes me way ass jealous. And I bet you it makes everybody jealous. Yeah, so I do a lot of driving <laughs> instructing, and it's turned into I have an off road driving background. I used to race off road, and a couple of my friends they train a bunch of military special forces guys, and they head out in the desert for a week. And so I've been working with them, do a bunch of Air Force uh, PJs and Navy SEALs and a bunch of other military. And government uh, programs and teaching them how to Baja, teach them how to drive off road, <laughs> teach them how to not how to not break stuff. Uh, if they encounter certain obstacles, how to get over it and use a winch. And it's four days, self supported. Bring all our own gas, all our own water. We camp out there. Um, teach them how to weld with car batteries. <laughs> so, in case we break something, need to weld something, um, we can do that out there. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun job for sure. It's uh, it's good for the soul because you feel like you're passing on that knowledge to people who actually are going to use it. Now, could a guy like me? I don't want to give people ideas. Not like me. Could I go on that trip with you sometime? Yeah. So you really? <laughs> yeah. You you got my number, Steve. Okay. When we were hanging out in Hawaii, you were still sick and you were wondering what the hell had happened to you. And while we were there, you found out. Now tell the <laughs> tell the tell your little saga. Start with what you were. Start with your hunting trip. Okay, so I didn't find out till like a week after you had left, which had been like three weeks after being sick. So basically, what happened was is that you you guys were coming out, and we were going to film that whole thing. I knew we were going to hunt goats, and then Camp Chef had sent out that pellet grill. So I was like, okay, cool. Um, maybe we could use this thing. And I was thinking, okay, I'm just going to try and make some jerky on that thing. So I went and shot a goat about a week before you guys were going to arrive. Explain what you mean by a goat. Like, you mean like a goat? Yeah, just a, a wild goat. Yeah, like Hawaii is like lots of like fer- just feral goats. He doesn't mean like a mountain goat or an antelope. He means like a, a goat. Yeah, like they, they call them Spanish goats or, or ibex. Um, they're not really ibex, but um, yeah, they're just feral, feral goats that are all over the island. It's it's kind of like whitetail, I guess. In the east, you see them 
pretty frequently. And, and you guys saw him just driving around on the roads. You see him on the side of the roads and like that. So I went hunting, got, got this goat, and I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to make some, make some jerky on this, this pellet grill and see how that turns out. So I'm hanging out with my friend Bart. We're cutting this goat meat up into these like little nice perfect uh basically like little sashimi slices you know i was trying to cut it as thin as possible so that it wasn't chewy and as we're cutting it it just looks so beautiful and i know (laughs) plenty of people who eat deer meat and i've eaten elk meat raw and i know you're not supposed to eat pigs and bears raw but i didn't i didn't really put goats into that category even though I get laughed at at friends now that are like, what? I can't believe you ate that raw, you know? So anyway, cutting this stuff up into these little slices for jerky. And I was like, man, let's get the soy sauce and wasabi out. And we'll just eat a couple of these pieces just like you would, you know, ahi sashimi. So that's really where it came from with eating it raw. And uh, I really... We ate it. It was good. You know, with the soy sauce and the wasabi, it it kind of masked some of the flavor because it's so strong. And it basically tasted like fish. It was a little bit more chewy, but it wasn't as chewy as you would think. So we ate it. I ate about four pieces, which is probably about a little more than a tablespoon. And then my friend Bart, same thing. He ate like four pieces. So we're like, okay, cool. You know, and my wife was there, and I almost wish she wasn't so she couldn't say this, but she's like, man, you guys shouldn't eat that. She's like <laughs> looking at us like, I don't know if I'd eat that. Oh, you dude, know? that gives her a lifetime of uh, material. Oh, yeah. She's like, I, I told you, you know. And then my brother-in-law comes up as well. You know, I feel horrible about this. I kind of peer pressured him. I was like, hey, <laughs> come have a piece. And what are you like, afraid? He's like, no, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's all, no, no, I'm allergic to wasabi. And I was like, oh, no problem. I got apple cider vinegar right here. I'll just douse it with that. So like I douse a piece with that and I give it to him. So he eats one piece. I'm talking like small little sashimi slice piece. So okay, ate it, done. Next, I kind of had in my head like, who knows? Like if I'm puking tonight, whatever, I'll get it out. Next day, I'm feeling fine. So I'm like, cool. You know, I made I made it clear. And uh, then about three days later, I got leg pains kind of like a, as if I ran a, a couple miles the day before, you know. The next day, I, was, I actually talked to you, Steve. That day I talked to you on the phone before you guys came out and I was headed out on the boat. That day... I was starting to feel a little weird. And then that evening, I got body aches real bad and I got chills. But the weird thing about that day is I had bought some plate lunch the day before and I brought it with me to take it with me fishing. And I threw it in the dashboard of the truck and we ended up working and not going fishing until later in the afternoon. And I didn't get to eat that like fried chicken until (laughs) like two o'clock in the afternoon after I sat in the dash. So when I got sick, that night, I was like, oh, that chicken 
was no good, you know, and, and it had like, you know, the mac salad with the tuna and like the mayonnaise. <laughs> threw you off, that threw you off the trail, man. It threw me off the trail. So that night when I got sick, I was like, that, that was no good. I should definitely not have eaten that after I sat in the dash. I thought I got sick from that. So that next day I was body aches and, or that night too, body aches and the chills. The chills are probably the worst. And my skin was kind of sensitive too. And uh, just sensitive to temperature, you know? Like if my arm would be sticking out of the blanket, I'd be like, oh, that's cold out there. You know, I'd have to like cover it up. And so knowing that we were going to be filming in two days, I was like, I'm going to just, I'm going to lay here and try to get better and just drink a bunch of liquids and um, try to heal up. So. I spent two days in bed before you guys showed up, just feeling horrible. And then once we needed to start filming, and the first the first couple of days of filming, I was just on the camera boat. So I was taking Tylenol and Ad. Like once I started taking Tylenol and Advil, it was actually pretty manageable. And honestly, I've never had Tylenol or Advil work so good. Like my body aches not completely disappeared, but from what they were without the drugs, it took the body aches away big time. And then the, the chills too. Once the drugs started to wear off like at night, I tried not use them because I didn't want to be overloading my system with them. And then the body aches and chills and stuff would all kick back in. Really at night was the worst. And I was taking hot showers like in the middle of the night, like cooking hot showers. After those two days of filming, I got home one day super I didn't take any Tylenol or stuff because I was going to try wean off it that night, you know. I started getting real hot feeling and uh, almost like I was going to pass out. I got real bad cotton mouth. And I knew I had a temperature because I could feel my body just cooking. Check my temperature. And that baby went from, it just went 100, 101, 102, 103. And it started creeping up through like 103.4, 103.5. And I just I just pulled it out at that point. It wouldn't beep, <laughs> you know? Like, you know how you stick it in and it beeps? Dude, this thing was just going up and up. And it was in there for like five minutes. Started smoking. And, and you sure you got it in the right spot, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, just get it out of my mouth already. Like 3.5, 103.5. I was like, let's just go. I need to go to the hospital because I got this fever now. So I need to figure out what the hell's wrong with me. So we went to the hospital. I was telling him, hey, okay, the only thing out of my ordinary day was I ate this raw goat meat. At this point, it had been like over a week ago. So he's asking me questions about it. Okay, you know, did you throw up? Uh, Did you have diarrhea? You know, all these other questions. And since I didn't have, since I didn't, this is what I concluded was since I didn't throw up and have diarrhea, he kind of like blew it off. That's the way I took it. And um, didn't really test me for, because I, I wanted to get tested for all kinds of stuff right there. I was like, I was thinking trigonosis and um, whatever else you can get from raw goat meat, you know. Doesn't really check me too much. Gets me the two IVs. They took an x-ray of my chest. Um, they said my lungs had some a little bit of inflammation and stuff, but nothing, nothing major. 
So they gave me the two IVs. I actually started feeling better from the IVs and uh, got my temperature down with some Tylenol they gave me through the IV and then sent me home that night. The next day, I'm feeling better and just still tired and my body's pretty much drained and, and muscles are sore. But other than that, I started feeling better. So we kept filming and um, two days later, we were hunting goats. Remember, I got that text from my sister. I had to take Ash gone to the hospital last night at like three in the morning with chest pain. And because he was, he was sick for at that point, like five days, but then it got worse and he had this chest pain. So she takes him to the hospital. And I also had like this chest pain when I was going through my body aches and especially I'd breathe in deep and my back would hurt. And then my lungs, it almost make me want to cough a little bit. Um, I just equated it with like body aches all over, you know, I was just miserable all over. But since he went in with chest pain, the hospital's like, oh, we got to check you out, you know? So they do an x-ray and he's got heart inflammation, like the heart, the heart sac, you know, there's a name for it, but uh, that's inflamed. They think it's uh, brucella. That's what they, they thought it was. So that's what they started him on antibiotics. So I'm like, perfect. They're going to figure out what it is. And then I'm going to get the antibiotics for it. Since he was on those antibiotics, they kept him in the hospital for three days. Same thing. He kind of naturally started feeling better. After three days and they did the blood culture, they found out it wasn't brucella. And he kind of naturally started getting better. So he, he got out of the hospital. And then that's, uh, that's as much as, as far as the sickness went. It kind of drug on for a while. But after we stopped filming, Steve, the, after the day we finished cooking at my house, that next day I went in and got tested for everything because I, I didn't know if it was going to last. You know, I was like, man, this thing's going to flare back up. I got to know what the heck's going on with me. And I had told them like, hey, I want to get tested for everything that has to do with raw goat meat. So the, I go in and they poke both my arms. They fill like 10 tubes up with blood. They give me a urine sample I had to give them. And then these three stool samples I had to do. And so I was like, perfect. But I was kind of laughing because the day before we had eaten goat curry and raw fish. That's all, that's all I ate that day before. So I was like, oh man, this thing's going to be laced with all kinds of goodies. So I do the stool sample (laughs) and uh, I don't know if you ever done those stool samples, but it's like the two of them, it's got liquid in it already. Yeah, they and give you that little cowboy very... hat to go into. I've done that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they give you the plastic thing. You, you turn in the plastic thing, but it's not very deep. So you kind of got to, like, lift off to make sure you don't, like, stack it up. And <laughs> you got to, like, let it drop yeah. in there. Get them all filled up. I go return them. And at that point, all kinds of tests started coming back through my email. And I don't You know, I'm not a doctor. Like, all these checking all these proteins and all this stuff. So I didn't really... No, but then the toxoplasmosis one came up and it says, it, they didn't tell me yet, but I got the result. What it says is it's got these ranges that you're supposed to be in. And it says anything under eight is negative. From eight to 10 is normal. And then anything above 10 is positive. And mine came back at 93.6. So I was like, yeah, that, that looks about right. I think that's what it is. You're you like, know? that's got to be something. <laughs> that's got to be, be it. 
so yeah, that's when that's when I found out, and that wasn't until like a week after you guys had left, which has been like three weeks, and then telling people about it. My one friend's like, oh, Joe Rogan had somebody on and they talked about it for like 20 minutes and listen to that. And there's some crazy stuff. You know, that's when I found out about the whole cats and how it breeds in cats or whatever. And that's where it comes from. And then they poop and the goat must have ate some grass that the cat poop was on or something, you know. But here's the crazy thing, too, is I I was telling my uncle about it and he was talking about these fever dreams. Um, And I, I remember I was like, oh, man. When I was sick, because like I said, at the nights were worse. I was having these dreams that I had these leopard spots all over me. And they were like illuminating on the, spot, on the muscles that were in pain, like my legs and stuff. And I'm tripping out. I'd wake up. I'd be like, oh, that was weird. I'd you know, go pee or something. And when I'd go lay back down, I'd go right back into that same dream. And that happened for two nights. Yeah, I went like in the peak of being sick. So I, I was tripping out. And then when I found out about this thing coming from cats oh. and then having these leopard spot dreams, I was, I was tripping, dude. That's cat scratch fever right there. I don't yeah, care so, what he says, man. <laughs> that's cat scratch fever, dude. Damn, damn, I was tripping. Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. And I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Doug's, and I'm in the navel, and I hear, pow, I'll like instinctively pull up Bubbly Doug's place on on X and I'll look at the topography and I'll be like, oh, that sucker must be over in that little opening over there. Waypoints also, and the ability to share them, okay, comes in handy every spring. Whether that's revisiting old waypoints where I've been on birds before or sharing them to buddies to help put them on birds. This app will help you find more turkeys. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you too. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt. 
this turkey season. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Dr. Zar, lay out the situation on toxoplasmosis. So just to preface this with... Um... So I'm an ER doctor and definitely not a, uh, a ID doctor. But one thing that ER doctors are really good at is that we know a little bit about a lot of things and we're super good at looking things up really quickly to sound smart and confident. So um, that's kind of what I, I mean, this is like medical school stuff. You never go say like, hey, I was just looking it up. Oh, no way. You, no call, way. you guys come in and act like you knew all along. You're like, oh, I'll, be, I'll be right back. And it's like, you know, he's going out to Google it. And he's going to come back and act like he knew. I've had a minute to think about this. <laughs> and I, it's not just ER doctors. It's all doctors are doing that. All right. So Google is amazing, right? But the, the thing is, so here's the thing is that, so just so you don't think that all doctors are just using the internet, but it's like your peripheral brain. It's there. You know what it is. And I can go through Wikipedia, which is a wonderful resource. You can go through it and you go like, oh, I remember that from medical school. Oh, I remember that part. Um, so you're not just, you know, doing it de novo. You're just recharging your brain. So, hey, can, but, but I, I gotta, I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you something, Alan. Yeah. When I had trichnosis, I had already spoken with the state epidemiologist in Alaska. I'd already gone down and told him how I was real sick. And I think that I knew what I had. They sent me home, not believing me. Mm-hmm. My brother had gone, was like, go beer drinking with the state epidemiologist in Alaska. He's like, well, call him. I called him and they deal with a lot of it up there because they're eating a lot of bear meat. Yeah. I call him like it was a month ago. Four of us all got it. We were eating rare bear meat. He's like, you have trichinosis. Go back down to the doctor. Tell him to call me. I'm waiting for his call. Yeah. I go down. I said, listen, man, I'm not here to like tell you a bunch of shit about what's going on with me. Yep. Call this number. He looked at me like I'm nuts. Yeah. He goes, well, I'm here with you, and he's way up there. And I'm like, just call the guy. Yep. So he eventually agrees to call him, but won't call him in my presence. No. Oh. <laughs> Leaves the room. I know he went and called him. Comes back and goes, yeah. seems you have trichinosis. <laughs> I'm like, thanks, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a little bit of hubris to have to. I learned that early on in my career. If some a family member comes in and is like, I need you to call so-and-so, you call that person because otherwise you look. And if you're – because if you're wrong – then you're an ass. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you're in a, a big amount of trouble. So it's always better to take all the input and just be like, okay, well, you know, let's listen and get all the points. But yeah, that's a, 
that's a common thing. So I'm glad he listened to you or your your uh, friend. So um, so Toxo, um, Toxoplasmosis. Uh, it's an obligate intracellular protozoan uh, organism. So it's a small, single-celled, microscopic uh, animal, which uh, includes things like amoebas and sporozoans and other different forms. It's a parasite, and the they say the obligate um, like end of the line host is the cat. So uh, the cat will get this in its gut, it will poop it out, and small animals like birds and uh, rodents will uh, somehow get the feces from eating whatever's on the ground. When you say obligate, you mean it has to go through a cat? It has to be in the cat, ultimately. Yeah, to, to be able to replicate um, in uh, its like spreading form, it, it, it wants to get into the cat. To, to, huh. to humanize it uh, or to anthropomorphize the single-celled organism, it wants to be in the cat's gut and it wants to get pooped out to spread. Hey, Alan. It's a cat it, lady. <laughs> hey, uh, Alan, are we talking just domestic cats or could we be talking about, you know, bobcats or mountain lions? Do you know? Not sure, but if I had to make a guess, I'd probably say all felines. Because it says um, from the CDC website, it says from the family Felidae. So, uh, so domestic cats and their relatives. So I presume bobcats is probably, I mean, they're part of the feline family. Yeah, I read that leopards and stuff can have it and other cats. Yeah, and how things evolve. So Danny, what you're talking about, that, that guy that um, you watch on Joe Rogan, he had a lot of really interesting things to say. He was like a... I don't know if he's an epidemiologist or ID doc or what, but he, he went into a lot of detail about this uh, parasitic uh, relationship and how things evolve together. Um, it's so complicated over millennia, like how and why it shows the cat, not sure. But anyway, so it can also get into domestic animals like pigs and sheep. Um, ultimately, humans get it from either eating undercooked raw meat uh, containing uh, the cysts or drinking water or uh, eating domestic animals that have been exposed to it. One of the, to you guys' point before, you can get it from handling uh, a cat litter box. Um, and like when we had kids, I love domestic animals, but we got rid of our cats. We uh, adopted them out, whatever the term is, gave them away to somebody else because I didn't want to I didn't want to expose my wife, and I also didn't want to do the litter box for the next, like, five years. So I was like, time for the cats to go. Um, you hear that, Spencer? <laughs> There's a way out, buddy. Yeah, you got to get rid of the cat. I right? hope Kelsey's listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's not worth it. So it, it's that it's that a, a cat – so I, I want to make sure I'm getting this. The, it's in the cat. It has to go through the cat. It's in the cat's gut. It's in the cat's shit. Mm-hmm. But a goat has to eat something laying on cat shit. Or the cat poop is in the soil and the cysts are in the soil. So the, when the cat poops, these oocysts, which are not um, like uh, sporulated or active, infective cysts come out into the poop. And then they mature in the ground and then they become infective over like uh, a couple days. And then the you know, rodents or birds come by and consume whatever's on the ground and then they become infected. And then the cat will eat those rodents and birds, and then the cycle continues. Hmm. Um, oh, and if a human steps in there somewhere, eats the bird, or you know, drops their granola bar on the ground when they're hiking or something like that, but you know, we're exposed to all sorts of pathogens when we're walking around all day long. I mean, have you guys ever? Um, that's a tangent, but the War of the Worlds. You know, what I mean, the, the like how the aliens ultimately get defeated because of like the bacteria that they can't handle. 
but we're exposed to it all the time. You know, we're exposed to bacteria, viruses, pathogens on the daily in our immune system. You're talking Orson Welles? That's what happens with aliens and the Orson Welles thing? They catch a cold and... I'm pretty sure, right? (laughs) You remember in, uh, what was that, what was that, what was that alien invasion movie where they realized that yodeling kills them? They would play uh, Slim Whitman's, (laughs) they'd play Slim Whitman's Indian love call to kill them. This can't be real. No, it's Uh, No, Mars Attacks. Oh, Okay. <laughs> oh, Mars attack. Someone like eventually realized that, yeah, Slim, that Slim Whitman music would kill him. <laughs> In the ring, isn't it water that does the trick? That's, that's a signs. Signs is the water. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. signs. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. I'm calling you. That's a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, so back to trichinosis. So somebody was saying earlier, um, I can't remember who said it, but like, what's the prevalence or like how many people have been infected by it. They think that the zero prevalence in the United States is about 20 to 25%. Um, but it varies throughout the world. And in particularly it varies in, in societies and countries that have less stringent, you know, food safety practices, less, um, clean water, et cetera. So in countries in South America, like in Brazil, they think about 70% of people have been exposed to toxoplasmosis and just have it in their, no, really? their muscles. Yeah. So, but it's still 25% in the United States. That's still pretty high. When I was going through the trichinosis thing, I had a call with someone who had been in the Peace Corps. She'd been a doctor with the Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. And she told me that in a lot of villages, when they would go into the Congo, they would just come in and without asking anyone about symptomology or anything, they would come in and, and deworm everybody. Yeah. It was just understood that they were. It was just understood that they were they were, they were carriers and probably suffering. That, that it was it was per, it was pervasive. I think that we as a society don't have as much of an understanding of how different things were like a hundred years ago or two hundred years ago when we didn't have indoor plumbing and we didn't have water treatment plants, etc. Like the biggest movements forward in increasing human lifespan have been in the structural implements in society like indoor plumbing, clean water, the development of antibiotics, like all these things have increased our lifespans by 20, 30 years because infectious disease was the number one killer um, in, uh, in humans up until the advent of antibiotics. And then I think trauma as well. But anyway, so yeah, I would, I, you know, people are pooping where they're eating pretty much in, in close proximity. So, um, and that's just an unfortunate thing, but you know, I really appreciate my toilet. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I did have the, the state department had to call me and cause it got reported that I had toxoplasmosis. So mm. I had to do this whole report with the department, uh, department of health and they, they mm. did the whole report. And then I asked her, I was like, Hey, how common is this? You know? And she didn't have numbers super recent, but she had 2018. There were seven cases on just our island. Mm. 2017, there's four cases. 2016, there was 11 cases on just our island of toxoplasmosis. She, she didn't say how they got it. You know, it could have just been someone with dirty hands uh, preparing food or something. But yeah, um, but I was the first case this year. Just let you know. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> One last thing about Toxo. So 
it should be it should be said most people who contracted have like 90% of people have no symptoms and Danny's unique because he has this he probably would have had they say it's an acute self-limited infection in like a healthy host and the most common clinical presentation is people develop uh, lymph nodes in their neck that are non-tender and they're large on both sides and then people get these myalgias or body aches fever sweating headaches um, sometimes a rash but most people have no symptoms and it passes without any problem the people that you really worry about are pregnant women and immunocompromised people. So people who have HIV, people who are really unhealthy, cancer, rheumatoid arthritis, et cetera. Um, those people, their most common presentation, aside from pregnant women, have uh, central nervous system symptoms where the toxins in their brain and they end up showing up with like seizures and uh, focal neuro deficits and, and headaches and stuff. And it's, it's really scary for them. They'll have to be on treatment for the rest of their life if they survive the, the um the illness initially. So Danny, I, I got one last question for you. Yeah, buddy. Do you, uh, you don't have a cat, right? No cats, dude. So you weren't like screwing around the litter box or something. Dude, I was not <laughs> touching cat shit. I, I call it cat shit. itis, dude. That's what I've been calling this thing. The goat, the goat's disease or cat shit. itis. All right, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate you coming on. When, when, when you come to next time you're in the oh, U.S., yeah. we'll have we'll, we'll come down and talk spear fishing. In the U.S. Sorry, you know the, uh, the mainland, <laughs> yeah. the mainland, the, 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 the mainland. The mainland. I don't know you guys. Exactly. Yeah, I'll bring the goats. Forty nine state and all that garbage. <laughs> Listen, man, my flag still has forty eight state stars on it. <laughs> yeah, the mainland. Uh, mainland. All right, Alan. No, while we got you, I want to ask you a question. This is for Yanni because Yanni has been wanting to have a. Uh, uh, some some information about when you're shooting guns and you in your ears go bad over time. So we're shooting uh experimenting with different suppressors the other day and it kind of led to this conversation about what exactly is going on in your ears when you shoot guns a lot. And can you explain what happens? Like I had someone Clay Newcomb uh recently gave this to me by shooting too close to my ear. When someone shoots real close to your ear, like in a duck blind or whatever, and all of a sudden you get that, what has happened to your ear? So um, this is a really interesting question and very relevant for everybody uh, there and not you know, listening to the podcast. So what happens is when a gun goes off, there is a sound wave or an explosion and a sound wave that slams into your um, tympanic membrane, which is in your middle ear. So the ear is broken into three pieces. There's the outer ear, the part you can touch on the side of your head called the pinna, your ear canal, bugs get stuck in there. The middle ear, which is your tympanic membrane, and then the ossicle chain of these tiny bones, which are the tiniest in your body, that then vibrate and touch the inner ear. In the inner ear, there's a structure called the cochlea um, and the semicircular canals. The cochlea is what processes that sound wave and those vibrations into electrical signals going down the vestibular cochlear nerve into your brain into like your temporal parietal lobe, and then you perceive sound uh, or you hear. Um, and so when you hear that ringing, that ringing is called tinnitus, or some people say tinnitus. Um, tinnitus is uh, the perception of um, the perception of sound uh, in the absence of external auditory stimulus. So you're hearing something that's not necessarily there. So the sound wave has gone away, but you're still hearing that ringing. Um, and so tinnitus can be temporary or permanent, um, especially if people are exposed to a lot of like, you know, uh, significant high end noise, 
But it can also, I was reading, can happen from like explosions um, and a single, you know, experience where somebody gets a super high amount of decibels uh, or they, you know, they blow their eardrum. Um, so that tinnitus is essentially the little hairs inside the cochlea that, that are vibrating back and forth and, and uh, translating that vibration of the sound wave into electrical signals. It's those little hairs that are dying um, and, or, or being overly stimulated. So like, I remember going to concerts when I was younger and I didn't wear any ear protection at all. And I'd walk out of the concert and all I had for two, three hours was that tinnitus or that ringing in my ears. Thankfully it went away. But after, you know, learning in medical school, I realized that my inner ear was essentially dying after going to like a a rock concert. So I started wearing earplugs. Um, so that's pretty much it. Well, why is it that now and then you'd be laying in bed? Like this happens to me now laying in bed and all of a sudden there it is. Right. And at first you look around the house. Do you think something in the house is going on? Like it's not related to someone blasting a gun off next to your head. Sure. So when you get exposed to uh, loud noises, um, so noises are rated in decibels um, and the threshold of pain, the scale goes from zero to 140. 140 is like the threshold of pain for a human. A shotgun blast is around 120 to 140. But, you know, different kinds of guns with shorter barrels and bigger barrels can be louder than that. Um, when you get exposed to high decibel sounds, you can have permanent damage to those cochlear nerve cells. And why it all of a sudden ticks off in the middle of the night, I'm not really sure. But all of us, because of the way we live with our ear, earbuds and the stuff we're exposed to in our jobs and your avocational things with shooting, we all probably have some degree of cochlear hair cell damage. Um, and the cells that are taking the signal from the hairs also get damaged. And so they can get extra excited even without stimulation. And so they just, they just fire off, and that's the, the tinnitus that's happening. Um, and they say, I was reading before, that most tinnitus will self-resolve on its own. Um, I think between like 20 and fi- 25 and 50% uh, resolves on its own. So it's hard to, you know, it's not really a, a very well-treatable thing. Uh, a lot of people struggle with depression from it or feel like they're going crazy. They've even associated tinnitus with suicides. Um, depression, anxiety, sleep disorders, because it's extremely disturbing. Like most people don't care as much about losing their hearing, but they care a lot about having tinnitus that's chronically happening because it's it's so disturbing. So once hair, inner ear, hair cells have been killed, there's no regeneration of anything, right? So it's like 10 shotgun blasts near my head will produce X amount of damage and that that's it. And then it'll just, it's kind of a downward spiral. Yeah, humans, so I read somewhere else that humans don't regenerate those cells as well as like other animals do, but most animals aren't exposed to super high noises like we are in the same same way either. But humans are unique in the sense that we don't, we don't really regenerate those cells. Ironically, everybody ends up losing some of their hearing as they age. It's called presbycusis. And when, Steve, you'll, you guys will all appreciate this, but they say that, Men tend to lose the higher pitched sounds and women tend to lose the lower pitched sounds. So as we age, essentially we are <laughs> yeah. like Can't drowning you. our partners out over time. <laughs> what did you say? I got so, some of that already. 
Yeah, I think we all do in some ways. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, the the cells don't. I sent Corinne some pictures, and it look kind of looks like a, um, you know, like somebody smushed a bunch of uh, little tiny fingers down, and um, like a bomb went off. You know, in these electron microscope photographs. So. Yeah. And one other thing I read. So one other thing I read. So I I pulled up a couple studies and. Um, and one of these studies was based in Greece and they looked at uh, like a hundred military guys that had been exposed to gunfire anywhere from like one to a thousand rounds light versus heavy, heavy arms. And they, they had a, most of the, the patients in the study were right-handed. They were like 90% of them uh, were right-handed. And they found that most of the, um, most of the tinnitus that people were experiencing was in their left ear. So if you're, you know, if you're a right-handed shooter, You've got your right ear down on your shoulder, down on the butt of the gun. Your left ear is more exposed to that sound wave. So they're thinking that like the right ear is protected. And I, I like the term, they call it an acoustic shadow next to your shoulder. So your right ear is more protected than your left. Uh, I thought that was an interesting fact. And When, I, when you know, I went to an audiologist and he was looking at what ear, I can't remember what it was because I'm left-handed. Anyways, he was puzzled by the fact that the, the ear that I had damaged was the one I had damaged until he realized that I was left-handed. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah. oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. He's like, normally we see this in people's whatever the hell ear. Left ear. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Yet another unique thing. So the degree of tinnitus doesn't always associate with the amount of like hearing impairment. So you can have like still pretty good hearing and still have, still be, uh, a, you know, a victim of this tinnitus. And one of the things I read, one of the most common injuries or the most common injury in the Iraq war was uh, ear injuries because of the soldiers being exposed to, you know, gunfire and loud noises. Um, and it's quite common in the general population as well. About a, like 150 people per 100,000 people experience tinnitus. So it's fairly common. Got it. Last thing I found was um, I found an article from uh, American Speech and Language Association on suppressors. I know you guys were talking about earlier and they were just talking about hearing protection and saying that, you know, even though you put a suppressor on your firearm, you should still be wearing um, ear protection because the suppressor only drops the noise level by like 20 to 30 decibels. Um, and so, you know, if some of these firearms are producing sounds greater than 140, then you're still in a, a fairly loud uh, sound range, like operating heavy machinery or at a nightclub, basically, on the decibel scale. Yeah, a guy was telling us that most suppressors, that, that you want to make sure a suppressor puts you down, they go by OSHA standards. You can get a suppressor that'll put you down below what OSHA would recommend for hearing protection. But I don't know why the hell you wouldn't just leave them on anyways. Yeah. So the OSHA standards, I looked those up too. The OSHA standards are based off of not only the amount of decibels, but also the amount of time that you're exposed to those decibels. So like they would say... A worker can be exposed to, uh, you know, 90 decibels uh, for four hours um, or uh, I don't know the exact amount, but, you know, so it's, it's also time, time rated as well. So, but probably good for anybody using suppressor. I think it's probably still a good idea to put some amount of ear protection on if you shoot a lot. So let's talk about when you guys are going to get, you guys should get a t-shirt for number of lives meat eater saved with the tourniquets, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're up to, uh, we got a new one. I think we're, how many, but his life wasn't, a, he was, it doesn't count as a life save. It's like an arm save. I mean, he could have bled out, but. 
yeah, you guys could have like a ticker, like three and counting and one arm and counting. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, we have this, as you know, and I'll point this out to people too. We have a audio, um, we have an audio original book coming out with Random House. And in I this, heard about that. yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Because in this project, we hear a very elaborate story. Listeners will hear a very elaborate story about a man who him and his father were hunting. His father got shot by a dog. And this guy was at, seriously at risk of dying. Recalled hearing a podcast in which someone explained how to put a tourniquet. And he remembers how I'm talking about the tightness. Saved his old man's life. And then later when he had a minute to think about it, realized it was hearing Dr. Lazara on the Mediator podcast. And that was like the third life you'd saved. <laughs> These people should all be sending you money, man. No, no. It's all it's all good Samaritan. I, I think, you know, I think that um, I was looking last night for a video on your Instagram because Corinne had told me about something about a, a deer with a bunch of pus in its belly. But I was looking and I stumbled across a video of you uh, cutting your ingrown toenail out. And I saw that it had about 500,000 views. Oh, yeah. That video killed. <laughs> I said, what an amount of influence you have if you can do self-grooming and people watch that to such a degree. But also to comment on the fact that to use that influence in such a way to put out great messages about conservation or health or safety, I mean, it's a tremendous service, I think, to to people. And it's also, you know, really entertaining. I'm obviously biased, but like, you know, it's a great thing, you know, it's good Samaritan stuff. It's amazing. So no money, just good Samaritan stuff. Oh, I appreciate you saying that, man. I did that toe surgery yesterday on a Zoom call, but I just kept my foot down below the... <laughs> it was like, uh, what's his name? Who's the New Yorker writer? Yeah, I was just going to say, that's... Uh, what's that guy? Yeah, it's yeah. like Jeffrey Tubin. But with my toe, doing my toe surgery, but I kept my toe down low. That's good. Out of sight. That's good. Later, people like, like he did a toe surgery during a Zoom call. What's he doing down there? <laughs> What's he doing down there anyway? <laughs> he must be working on his toe. You're the probably latest. the only person to do that on a Zoom yeah. call. The latest news, it's going to break. <laughs> and the wildest part is that uh, the caption was like, do you want to see more of this content? And it was a resounding yes. <laughs> I know, but I just got to think of more. I mean, I could just do the same surgery over and over again, but I can't think of more. Uh, Dr. Lazar, thanks for joining us, man. Tell everybody where you work so if they get hurt, they can come to the right hospital. Absolutely. So I work at Henry Ford Allegiance uh, in Jackson, Michigan. I work for a company, a small democratic group called IEP. And um, yeah, we love taking care of patients. And, you know, we're we're there always in the middle of the night, every holiday, every weekend. So that's what we signed up for. So you're you're so if someone is going to get hurt, they should get hurt at night because they're going to find you down there at night. Yeah. I mean, the ER is open. The ER is open 24 seven. I think it's like us, Walmart, um, and Taco Bell, I think are like the 24 seven operations that we have in our society. So, <laughs> all right. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, if you get hurt in Jackson, make sure to go to that place, Jackson, Michigan, go to that place. And you can shoot the breeze with uh, Dr. Lazara while he fixes you up. Thanks so much for having me, you guys. Thanks, man. Thanks, Alan. All right. Uh, I want to hit on this audio project for a minute. Um, it's available. It's coming out soon. It's avail- available for pre-order. I'm going to tell people how I described it. I put a thing on Instagram about it, which sums it up pretty good. You did a great job. No, we worked our, yeah, we've been working our cojones off on this thing. Still are. Still wrapping up the finishing touches. So, okay, well, here's what I wrote on Instagram about it. 
Listeners of the Meat Eater podcast might remember our Meat Tree episodes, where we told the story of a mightily close encounter with a brown bear on Alaska's of Fognac Island. This very podcast told that story. Ultimately, that experience inspired this immersive audiobook with Random House. By immersive, we mean. I hesitate to say this because you might get the wrong idea. There's, there's a soundscape. There's like supporting sound, and there's music and stuff, but there's supporting sound to kind of like, it's immersive. It's, I don't, I think everybody's shocked at how good it turned out. I didn't know it was going to be this good. Yeah, it was. When we started in on it, because we found the most craziest people with the craziest stories. Jeez. It's six hours long, includes 16 tales of harrowing close calls in the wild told by the people themselves. A game warden almost gunned down by an Uzi-wielding sociopathic elk poacher. A spear fisherman trapped in an underwater cave. A pheasant hunter shot by a dog. A peacock bass fisherman who inadvertently gets tangled up with a drug cartel. A fishing guide who saves the life of a boy whose father had written him off for dead. That being none other than... Like Brody Henderson. Ta-da. Brody (laughs) Henderson walking around all the time. Was sitting on this like very traumatic story about a boy he saved. We got Seth in there too. Seth's in there. I get to him in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> a fishing guy who saves the life of a boy whose father had written him off for dead, and a wildland firefighter who's forced to reckon with the idea of his last day on Earth. Yep. Spoiler very alert. Flip flop flasher. We're sitting among giants. <laughs> flip flop flasher. What's the spoiler alert? It wasn't his last day on Earth since he's sitting here. Here I am. I said forced to reckon with. Mm. You trying to sell the book or not, dude? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'll be like, that's how Seth died. Long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) To go on. Along the way, I explore the unique aspects of human psychology and physiology that that emerge during these brushes with death and seek to answer the question of why close calls in the wild have a way of haunting us for the rest of our lives. Uh, I've always been a big fan of paradoxical undressing, which happens to you during hypothermia. Or like, haunt, like it's, an, it's an unnerving idea. But in this one, in, our, in the hypothermia story in this book of a caribou guide, we explore terminal burrowing. It's kind of a nasty little description. Of Some people, when they're suffering hypothermia, get the idea that they're going to dig a hole and climb into the hole to warm up, often digging their own grave. It's good. It's very good. I was playing, because we we're going through and just doing final listens, and I was driving, uh, driving down the road listening to edits with my wife, and... There were four times, just the short time we were listening to things, four times, including during Brody's story, where she did an audible, she did a, she did one of these noises. She went, um, I can't quite do it. It'd be like a, huh? No. God. <laughs> do one. Like a, like a shocked noise, Corinne. No, more than that. Way more. <laughs> it was uh-huh. like, no, like a, it was, it was like, like Tim Allen, whatever that no, was. It was. No, she did a noise like this. I should get her to come down like, here and do huh? it. She did a noise like, it was like, this, like it was conveyed this message. Oh my God. Oh my God. <gasps> yeah. There you go. Do that again. Got it. <gasps> yeah. Basically just like my wife. Like a oh my God without the words. It's good. Like it's it's listen, this is one of the proudest things. Uh we don't celebrate a lot of stuff around here, but I'm setting up a dinner 
for the for the bazillion yeah. people involved in that project. It's it's one of the great. I think it's one of the coolest things we've ever made. Yeah, and it'll I think very much appeal to people. It's not just for hunters and fishermen. It, it like no, dude. There's a skiers. There's a skier this. in yeah. it who rode a eighteen who rode an avalanche for eighteen hundred feet. Yep. Mountaineer. Uh, mountaineering. Just game wardening. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. yeah. Yep. Okay. My my wife really likes the show Hoarders. Are you familiar with that? I know that there's a show called Hoarders. Yeah, it's like where where these people have an extreme hoarding problem. Are you going to bring this back to this audio? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it's coming there. No, I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> yeah. I do know about this show. I haven't seen any episodes. If you're not familiar, the, these folks fill their house with just trash, literal trash from floor to ceiling. Yeah. And then they bring in these experts to help them know, clean up their house. Yeah, there's hoarding experts to help them clean up their house. Is that as a dude with a dumpster? There's a dude with a dumpster. Oh, okay. And then there's also the expert that helps them. Oh, psychologically. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm with you. I can't watch the show. There's too much dread and too much anxiety with that show, and there's just no payoff. And it, it's like I need to walk out of the room if my wife is watching Hoarders. You get a little bit of that with these interviews. Like it approaches that line of giving you some anxiety and some dread, but it's still like wildly entertaining. Mm. And there's still a payoff, and it's it's like one of the most fun things to listen to. Oh, there's also a story, speaking not all hunting and fishing, there's a story about going to the old hot springs. Yep. Oh yeah. Just a right. just a nice day right. having a warm dip. Yep. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> having a warm dip at the hot spring. It's good. Okay, it's you can pre, it's coming out, but you can just like get it now. Here's the thing: it's a it's an audio book, so it just it'll just you know you you don't need to wait for it to come in the mail. But it's good for us if you just go pre-order the damn thing. Yep. Um, you can go to Audible or yep. Amazon. Yeah, you go to Amazon.com, you go to Audible. I think Audible's owned by Amazon. Yep. And find it. It's called Meat Eaters Campfire Stories. Close calls. Close calls. It's all close calls. Should we point out that we're hoping there's going to be a volume two if everything goes well? Yeah. And then and then that'll give everybody that's listening a chance to let us know about yeah, their close calls. Exactly. And they'll get cast. They'll get casted. Cast into it. Uh, speaking of books, when we were, our recent episode just came out a couple weeks called, uh, well, you know what had me the other day? Speaking of doing uh, the audio book, um, someone tried to sabotage the project. I think competitors, competitors in the audio space, because we were recording some final pickup lines. Okay. And Nick, who works here, hands me a fudge sickle, <laughs> which I take into the studio. And I'm licking on this fudge sickle, trying to do the lines. Sounds like this. His life flashed before his eyes. Yeah, we had to like finish the fudge sickle and come back in and redo the whole thing all over again because it was like fudge sickle eyes. In, in the Hunting and Chains ex, uh, episode, we're talking about out-of-print books. And I was talking about there's this book I love by a writer, Duncan Gilchrist. He was, he's like, he's a writer. He Duncan Gilchrist was an outdoor writer who would publish his own books, and he accidentally wrote like Hemingway. Like, like very, very simple, clean lessons. He was, or sentences. He was a bush pilot. He was a guy in Alaska. He used to hunt New Zealand, hunt, hunt all over the place. Very like DIY, 
um, alpine hunting. And he kind of put all of his thoughts and, and, and approaches and tips and tricks into a book uh, to called, wait for it, All About Bears, which is all about bears. And then he wrote Hunt High. Um, phenomenal books. But there aren't many around. He would self-publish these books. And I'm always yapping about them. And uh, there's very few of them in there. And I was pointing out that how I bought one from a guy that was like 100 bucks. And I bought it. And he sent it to me with a note sticking on it. It says, because he sees my name when he has to ship it to me. He's like, you're the reason I bought this book. <laughs> well, right now, someone, after that episode came out, someone goes online to check on Hunt High. And it's, <laughs> there's a copy on Amazon for $1,694.24. Or you can get a hardcover for less. Half as, half as much. 50 off. Yeah. And there's some used ones for seven, 800 bucks. You would think that someone would reprint that son wow. of a bitch book. Wow. That's crazy. Unbelievable. Do you feel bad? Spot burned a book? Mm. No, because I think that even in... I think he was so good and such an interesting guy. I like to see him even in death enjoy success uh, a friend of mine was with him when he died was with Duncan Gilchrist when he died they were filming uh, Bighorn Sheep he would do these like videos he would go up and film Bighorn Sheep and just do videos about Bighorn Sheep love how, sheep how long ago did he die yeah, it was maybe a decade or so ago a buddy of mine's an outdoor writer and he was writing a piece about Duncan and about Duncan's like lifelong fascination with alpine hunting and mountain hunting and they were out filming Bighorns and he said, all of a sudden, he looked, and he was just dead. And he said to my friend, said, he, in telling the story, my friend said, Duncan, where did you go? It was that, like, you know. Jeez. Doesn't seem like such a bad way. Especially no, for just had a heart yeah. attack, and there was no wow. nothing. It's just all of a sudden, he was just dead. Right where he wanted to be, probably. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, Duncan. That was a weird sound. Oh no! I thought, the, I thought you were doing the death mode. Yeah. <laughs> there's a song. I wonder if this. There's a song, and I've always wondered what it's about. But there's a band called Death Cab for Cutie. Oh yeah, they yeah. got a song about Duncan Gilchrist. The lead singer did a solo album, and he has a song called Duncan. Where have you gone? And I wonder if it's in reference to that. I don't know, dude. <laughs> he. Wow. Really? No. It was where did you go? Okay. Might be different, but that's a weird coincidence. Is he a big sheep hunter? (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) He's a vegan. (laughs) Wow. So that's the import. That's the expensive book desk. Now, uh, last thing to close out is we got to talk about. A lot of times we talk about things people do do, but we're going to talk about things people don't do. Seth has been toying with. It's not too late, Seth. It might be. Seth toyed with joining a walleye tournament this weekend and chickened out. But he's still fishing the same lake where the tournament is going on. <laughs> he's just going up there to fish anyway. Um, walk, yeah. walk me through it, Seth, just so I can understand. Well, yeah, Chester and I were gonna we're thinking about joining or signing up for the walleye tournament that's on Canyon Ferry this weekend. It's part of the Montana Walleye Circuit. Um, one reason why we didn't sign up was because the entry fee is 320 bucks yeah but i feel, I feel like this company could sponsor you and you just get a sticker on your boat well, <laughs> well but then you damn sure better win dude yeah. that's gonna be embarrassing man yeah um and one of the reasons that i was afraid of but what i'm i'm kind of reading now that it, this might not be a problem 
because they're switching it up. But um, my live well isn't always uh, doesn't always keep fish very lively, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was afraid of just having fish in there and dying before weigh-ins. Like but, they'd pass away and you wouldn't be able to count them. Yeah, but uh, I'm I was just reading this right here that I think they're. They might go away from that this year, or they have. You just bring in dead walleyes on ice. No, you just it, there's a there's a way that you can record your fish size by like digitally or yeah. something. Yeah. Hmm. How much would you win if you won the walleye tournament? It's estimated ten thousand dollars for first place. And how many boats? Um it's gotta be a lot. A hundred and fifty two person team max is what it says on here. Huh. I feel like that's probably. I feel like I would have the smallest boat there. Yeah, that doesn't that, mean that's you would win. Later, it'd be like a movie about you guys, man. <laughs> it'd be like when the Jamaicans won that bobsled tournament. <laughs> cool runnings in, in the Olympics, and they later made a movie. <laughs> that's true. If he just, you would be able to take that plot line. It'd have like Chester's wife be mad that he fishes all the time, <laughs> right? And and then it would be that you guys go out in this little boat, and the movie would be like a way worse boat. Yeah, there'd be a big storm but, too. So yeah, no, this, <laughs> this is giant storm. This is another problem. The weather. So my boat on Canyon Ferry, like the you got to have decent weather to be on the water. If like the wind blows both days this weekend, we could throw three hundred twenty bucks in the pot and not even be able to fish. Hmm. Uh. But what? Okay, Chet and I will be out there on the bank. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, like three hundred twenty for the potential of ten thousand is like a that's like that, buying that Bitcoin, kind dude. of investment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe it like maybe the odds are better than uh, that's a hmm. lot of money towards Chester's new boat. Yeah, and it's not ten thousand or bust. You could luck into like yeah, right. like thirtieth place and probably get your money back or something. Yeah, that's true. Now, if you go up, you're gonna go fish anyway. Yeah, we're gonna do it anyway. So all these yahoos are gonna be out there in their big souped up boats. Yeah. You're gonna be out there fishing anyways. The minute you catch a hog, you're gonna be really regretting it yeah you'd be like can i sign up can i still sign up <laughs> i just caught a nice one I'd like doing the roll we were yeah it was we were up there last weekend there was a bunch of dudes pre-fishing it for the tournament hmm. a lot of dudes that have fancy boats but we absolutely crushed them hmm. so, so you outfished them i don't know if we outfished them we caught a lot of fish i don't know if we caught like it's a, I think it's a five, five fish bag. We didn't catch any giants. Yeah, you should tell everybody about me catching that one the other night. Oh, never mind. I don't want you to tell anybody about that. You can you can tell us about it since we started. I got one the other night. <laughs> I noticed after I caught Steve it, Seth. One. I noticed after I caught it, Seth changed his approach. Oh, how big? I did. Joe Wally, thirteen. <laughs> and then went on thirteen <laughs> what inches? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What we call eaters, Spencer. Mm-hmm. What we call eaters. Yep. Good old eater. Eaters. All uh, right. Yeah. So you're going? We're going anyway. I Not too late to enroll or too late to enroll? I think it's too late. But um, no, we're definitely, Chet and I are definitely going to start fishing some tournaments. You're going to become a tournament walleye angler. Yep. Do you think you'll still work here? Do you think you'll quit to do that? <laughs> uh, it all depends on how much uh, time you let me. So you'd honestly quit this. You'd honestly quit. You do. You like. You wouldn't want to be colleagues with any of us anymore. No, I wouldn't. I w- so that you could be a walleye tournament guy. No, I wouldn't. I freaking love walleye fishing, though. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do. I know you do. But uh, no, I wouldn't. Your girlfriend likes eating walleyes. You like catching walleyes. Yep. 
Um, no, I I seriously do want to enter tournaments. I think it'd be fun, but is he gonna pain you to let him go when you're tournament fishing though? Don't you gotta release him? No, once you weigh in, what do they care what you do with them? Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure how that works if you have to release him or not. Yeah, you probably can't high grade during the tournament though. That's what you're talking about. For, for for explain high grading for people at home. Culling. Yeah. Like uh like you catch you got four sixteen inches in the boat and you can only keep four. And then you catch an eighteen incher. You can't let one of the sixteen inches go and keep that eighteen incher. That's high grading. They do that all the time in bass tournaments though, don't they? Depends yep. on the regulations. Yeah, yeah it depends Pretty on the state. There. State and body of water. There was a I remember there was a bass fishing scandal one time where there was a I think it was a bass tournament in a stretch of the Mississippi yep. where you have states, right? So whatever the hell, one side of the river is one state, one side of the river is the other state. Yep. A guy crossed state line, like down, and, and I guess in this area there's all these islands and it's confusing what state you're in, crossed state lines and high graded. Yeah, it was that was Brandon Polnick. Oh. Big fan of him, actually. He, How do you it be was, a fan was, of a bass fisherman? It was an honest mistake. No, I'm not, I'm not criticized. He's dude. got his poster on his wall. Yeah. <laughs> there was a moment when bass fishing was on ESPN. Yeah. 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 Like you, you had a bass fisherman, like you had a football team. Yeah. Did you put posters of these people on your bedroom wall? No. I, I still did, follow. Did you wear their jersey? No. I follow closely, though, the uh, the Elite Series. Bass. Yeah. I used to do, it's cool. I used to do fantasy bass fishing. Hmm. Do you know what that means? No. Do you know what <laughs> fantasy football is? Yes. Yeah. That, but with bass. So huh. you like pick like five anglers for a specific tournament, and then you're like entered in this pool with these other guys that are like watching the tournament. Yeah, it's like why, it's you, like, why do you guys not start like a segment of our business dedicated <laughs> to this stuff? We should. It's pretty far outside our ethos. We're catching fish. No, no, no. This version of catching fish oh. with electronics that like like this tournament tomorrow, Seth. These guys are gonna have electronics more expensive than your entire setup. True, sure. but I, I mean, I have electronics on my boat that are, that's like more expensive than oh, my boat. There you go. So I feel like they're not going to out electronics me. Maybe. <laughs> okay. They might just outfish you. <laughs> <laughs> they're definitely outboating me big time. All right, Seth, well, good luck out there. Thank you. I'm a little bit sad about this new career going down. I hope you don't do well. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm, uh, I'll tell you, I'm not going to leave Meat Eater to be a tournament walleye fisherman, but. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Um. I do like fishing them. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Wish Seth good luck. If you're, out, if you're fishing the walleye term and you see a guy in a little dinghy boat. <laughs> the Nighthawk. Crestliner Nighthawk. Crestliner. <laughs> say hi. Thank you. Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the Decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized job site or out in the field go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping go to decked.com slash meat eater get yourself some free shipping
Hey, if you follow wildlife news at all, you're probably aware that the island of Maui has an incredible abundance of Axis deer, so much so that they're causing ecological damage. Well, Maui Nui venison is thinning out some of those Axis deer herds and delivering venison sticks and fresh cuts to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order.